team for leading us in our worship of God this morning and preparing our hearts to hear His Word. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 18, uh, to that passage that Gary has just read to us, and uh, we're going to be working our way through that whole chapter um, as we come to God's Word today. When I was uh, in high school back in the 1980s, uh, there was an American pop band called R.E.M., uh, who came out with a hit song called, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine. Well, that song made it to the top 50 uh, list in various countries across the world, mainly because of the catchy chorus. Because if you go and look at the lyrics of the rest of the song, they make absolutely no sense whatsoever. But the chorus repeatedly echoed this anti-Christian, anti-gospel message of the dragon as he uses catchy tunes of pop songs, tunes which get stuck in our head playing over and over again as we sing along without even knowing it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine. Well, the passage we come to today in God's word reveals the truth about the end of the world as we know it. But the message from John's vision is definitely not one of I feel fine. But instead, as we will see, it is one of global weeping and mourning and fear as the world is finally destroyed. And so the chapter before us broadly divides this morning into three sections, and the focus uh, of John's vision in these verses throughout the three sections is the final destruction of Babylon, who, if you were here the last time, you will recall Babylon is a symbolic reference to all that is worldly, to all that which represents things that are anti-God in this world, not just things that are blatantly evil, but specifically as we think of Babylon and worldliness, all that glitters, all that is shiny and attractive and beautiful, all that tempts us with pleasure and riches, all that at its root tempts us to worship the created things of this world instead of the Creator. Now, although the focus is on the destruction of Babylon, we must remember that the original recipients of this vision were, for the most part, Christians, just like you and me. They were members of seven churches scattered across the Roman Empire. And John's purpose was not to satisfy their curiosity about the details of some future event, but it was to encourage them in the present. They were living in the midst of Rome. They were living in the midst of their present day Babylon. And they wanted to be encouraged to know that in the end, the Lamb wins. That Rome will be destroyed. That the great city of Babylon in every age of history will be finally and fully judged, never to rise again from the ashes. And so we will see that although the focus of the details in this chapter is the destruction of Babylon, uh, the intended audience is Christians. 
Christians to whom John originally wrote and Christians like you and me today as we live in the midst of our local and as I mentioned last time, our global city of Babylon in 2022. And so we're going to see in each of the three sections of this chapter that that John's focus in the vision is on us, warning us to avoid her trappings in verses 1 to 8, challenging us to reorient our priorities in verses 9 to 19, and then encouraging us to see God's righteous judgment in verses 20 to 24. And so in the first place, let's consider John's warning to avoid her trappings. And we see in the first place, Babylon is fallen, so come out of her, my people. So John returns here in chapter 18 to give us more details of the destruction of this prostitute Babylon, which we learned about last time in chapter 17. Uh, Remember, often in in the book of Revelation, uh, this section starts with the words, after this, and after this does not necessarily refer to a chronological timeline of events. Sometimes it does, but often it's simply just the next vision which John receives. And in this case, he now zooms in to the details of something which he previously mentioned in chapter 17. Verse 1, after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast." So we must, again, just remember that Babylon, as a literal city that existed in history, had been destroyed almost 500 years prior to John writing this vision. And so this vision here is is not meant to be understood uh, literally to refer to a future rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon. It's meant to firstly be understood in the immediate context to be referring to Rome, But as it does come here at the end of the Bible, uh, it's a culmination, as we will see, of all the types and all the shadows of the cities throughout the Old Testament who had stood against God throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in fact, the history of the church. And so in this whole chapter, although John's vision is of Babylon, he's drawing from allusions, he's drawing from direct quotations in the Old Testament which encompass a whole range of wicked cities. Uh, We see hints in this passage of Babel, the Tower of Babel back in Genesis chapter 11. We see hints of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18, of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 1, of Jerusalem when Jerusalem turned against God in Ezra chapter 9, of Babylon obviously itself as a historical city in Jeremiah 51, and the great trading city of Tyre in Ezekiel 26 to 28. And so although this is a vision of a future day of the Lord, this bright and and glorious angel descends from heaven and he pronounces judgment with a mighty voice that destruction of Babylon is accomplished. It's, it's finished. Although he's speaking of a future event, the reality of this future day is so fixed in God's schedule that it's guaranteed. 
Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And right up front, John reveals what this means, explaining that effectively Babylon is cast into hell. Her, ins, her, her destruction involves, if you look at verse 2 and 3, becoming the habitation of everything that is evil and demonic and unclean. Everything which the Old Testament had described as not being from God. Everything which had not been purified, not been sanctified, anything which defiled the people of God is found in Babylon. Babylon's fall here is really just God handing over the city to complete evil. Now why such a severe end for Babylon? Look at verse 3. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. We saw something of this last time in chapter 17, and we'll see this again in, in more detail a little bit later, but basically this is the end of the world as we know it for all those whom Paul has described in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and following, who although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Three times in Romans 1, when you read those verses, Paul explains that God's judgment on the Babylons of this world, is to give people over, to give them up to the lusts of their hearts, to give them up to dishonorable passions, to give them over to a debased mind. And for the sinner, for the person who is a citizen of Babylon, this being released, as it were, from the moral compass of their conscience is a great relief. It's something that the wicked celebrate as we see in the world all around us today. The celebration of blatant sin. But that in itself is the clearest evidence of God's judgment. Not particularly limited to young people, but young people. Thank God that you still have a guilty conscience when you sin. Because if you don't, if you and I can sin without a conscience, that is a grave warning that God has handed us over in judgment. And that is a, a shadow of what will take place on this final day of the Lord. John's vision reveals that as the peoples of the earth continue to drink the wine of Babylon's porneia, her sexual immorality, which we considered last time, as the rulers of the world sell their souls to her, as the business people of the world revel in her riches, the end of their journey is announced. Complete and utter evil. And so the first point of application is presented to us in verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. John hears this, this voice from heaven. 
Maybe it's the voice of God, maybe another angel, but it's a message from God himself calling in a loud voice, come out of her, my people. This is the great warning of God calling us to have nothing to do with the trappings of Babylon. Now, some Christians over the history of the church have, have taken this verse in isolation as a, as a call for us as Christians to live secluded lives, lives which are withdrawn from the world. Uh, we see this in the monastic movement of the Dark Ages. Perhaps we see it in more modern times in the, the Amish movement in America. But what these groups have taught us again and again is that we are all sinners by nature. And withdrawing from the world does not remove the sin in our own hearts. It simply takes, us, takes it with us into seclusion. And so often these groups fall uh, into even worse sins than that which would have been tolerated in the world out there. Besides that practical failure to show us that that's not what this verse means, there are many other verses in the Bible that speak positively of us as Christians living in this world so that we will be salt and light, so that we will be a city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. We are called in Scripture as Christians to work hard with integrity in our society. We are to pray for the, the well-being of our city. We are to honor the government. We are to put the grace of God on display so that the world will see our good works and will glorify God. So what then does it mean to come out of her, my people? Well, we're given the answer in the rest of verse four. Just look, it's right there. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This call of God is, is not for us as Christians to remove ourselves from the world, but it's a call to remain pure in the world. This is exactly what Jesus prayed to God for us in John chapter 17. John 17 verse 13, Jesus prays to God. He says, but Father, now I'm coming to you and I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Do you see that Jesus is deeply concerned for the purity of his disciples in a world that is filled with sexual immorality, with pride, with greed, with idolatry and drunkenness and such things. The voice from heaven is calling us to come out from the world, to come out from the trappings of her sins. We are the church of Jesus Christ. The word is ecclesia. It means the called out ones. We live in Babylon, but we are the called out citizens of Jerusalem. We are in the world, but we belong to another kingdom. 
Now the warning could not be stronger. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. You see, this final day of judgment is coming. Babylon's destruction is as certain as the past tense fallen. Don't be fooled by her deceptions, by her luxuries, by her intoxications. If you share in her sins, you will share in her plagues. Don't ever think that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you a license to continue in your sin. That is a lie of Satan. That is the marketing department of Babylon at work. God's call for us is holiness, purity, obedience. Otherwise, the harlot's destruction is coming on you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Satan is out there to deceive. Paul says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, period. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Did you see that? Paul says, such were some of you. We used to be Babylonian. We used to be deceived, but now we are citizens of the new Jerusalem. The truth in Christ has set us free. We are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. So come out of her, my people, lest you continue in her sins and you perish in her plagues. And before we move on, there's a very interesting reference in verse 5 to the sins of Babylon being heaped as high as the heavens. And this takes us all the way back to the very first reference to Babylon in the Bible, to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where the people of the earth gathered and they united to, to build a tower. What was the goal of the tower? To reach into the heavens to make a name for themselves. We know that God came and he confused their languages and they were scattered across the face of the earth. But it was not the tower that defined those first generation Babylonians. It was the sin in their heart of wanting to defy God. And so although they were then scattered across the earth, this Babel spirit of self-glory remained in each of them. And so here we are at the very end of the Bible, at the end of history, and we see that nothing has changed. Eventually, they did succeed to build a tower to heaven, but it was not a tower of bricks and mortar. Instead, verse 5 tells us that her sins are heaped so high before God that they reach heaven. And so God remembers every single sin of the unbelieving citizens of Babylon across all of history in his final judgment of the wicked. And then in verse 6 to 8, we see that John draws from various Old Testament passages in this pronouncement of judgment against Babylon. 
showing that God's word is always faithful and his judgments are altogether righteous. Notice the pride and the arrogance of Babylon in verse 7. I mean, we see this in the world all around us today. She glorified herself and lived in luxury. And so her judgment will be an equivalent measure of torment and mourning. I'll just make a cross-reference note in your Bible to Isaiah 47, verse 5 to 11. This is what, what John is drawing from in this vision here. Isaiah 47, verse 5, God says, Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. That's another word for Babylon. For you shall no more be called the mistress of the kingdoms. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. So as we come back to John's vision in verse 8, we see the fulfillment of God's words through Isaiah. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So there we have John's description of the end of the world as we know it, the end of Babylon, the end of all that sets itself up in worship of the creature instead of the creator. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So coming back to our REM song then, what will the response of the world be on that day? Will it really be an I feel fine? Well, in the second place, I want us to see that Babylon is fallen, so do not long after her, my people. What we're going to see in this next section is the response of the people of the world to the end of the world. As Babylon falls under the hand of God's judgment, we see three groups responding. We see kings and merchants and then the seafaring trade. Let's start with the kings in verse 9 and 10. They represent those in positions of power, royalty, authority, who we have been told committed sexual immorality with her, who lived in luxury with her. These are those who used their power and their influence in Babylon to get rich, who corrupted government tenders to enrich themselves and their families, who used force and might to achieve dishonest gain, who literally sold their souls to Babylon and who then reveled in the rewards of her abominations. That's the kings in verse 9 and 10. The merchants in verse 11 to 17 really covers the broadest category of humanity. It's those who buy and sell every day. 
And we see how all-encompassing this is. Verse 12, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, pure cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves, that is human souls. Everything is up for sale in Babylon. No matter what era of world history we live in, the merchants represent the economic hub of society. From the little corner spaza shop to the township shabin to the factories of industry to the towering office blocks of, of the big businesses to the sex slave trade of the internet. The merchants are people just like you and me. We all have something to sell and we all have something to buy. And then the third group in verse 17 to 19 are all those involved in national and international logistics whose job it is to, to ship all the products from the merchants to the, to the uh, from, uh, you know, to, to ship the products of the merchants from the supplier to the buyer who make their money and great wealth from being the conduit between supply and demand. In John's day, it was the ships of the sea. In our days, it's 18-wheeler trucks and little motorbikes riding around our neighborhood. The point of John's vision is clear, that all of the world is caught up in the luxuries and the pleasures of Babylon from presidents and CEOs who create the environment to produce stuff to all levels of white-collar business who trade and bank the stuff to blue-collar workers who make the stuff to every industry that markets and sells the stuff to all those who transport the stuff to your door. All together we see in these verses three times we are told for each of the groups they weep and they wail and they mourn for the destruction of Babylon. There is not one person who sees the end of the world as we know it who skips along happily and says, and I feel fine. No, we are told that they stand far off in fear of her torment. They realize that they are part of Babylon. Babylon is its citizens. They are her lovers and as she is destroyed, their individual destruction is soon to follow. Three times we are told in verse 10 and verse 17 and verse 19 that her destruction will be swift. In a single hour, your judgment has come. In a single hour, all your wealth has been laid waste. In a single hour, Babylon is brought to nothing. And so the second point of application to us then as God's people is this. Do not long after her, my people. All those who belong to Babylon will be destroyed with the very things that their souls long after. Please look at verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and all your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. 
And so here we see another dimension of what it means to come out of her, my people, which is not simply that we avoid her sins. Of course, that is true. But here we are called to check and see what it is that our souls long after. I think a most graphic illustration of this from Scripture uh, is God's call to Lot. Lot and his wife and his daughters to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah before they would be destroyed with those wicked cities in Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis 19, verse 15, we read, As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, But Lot lingered. Lot lingered. So the men, these angels, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. Whether they picked them up and flew, I don't know. But it says the Lord was merciful to him, and they brought them and set them outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and everything that grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, did you notice that Lot and his wife and his family, they lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were not guilty, it seems, of the terrible sins being committed, the terrible wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. They, at face value, were good moral people. But when God called to Lot and said, come out of her, Lot, he lingered. He lingered. Yes, he loved God. I'm sure he went to church, whatever that looked like, on Sundays or Saturdays in those days. It seemed that though he, he did not participate in the evil of the city, yet Lot's heart was divided. Lot, we read, was spared, as it were, by the skin of his teeth. But as God poured down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife looked back. What's the difference between lingering and looking? Well, I think her looking revealed a longing. Her heart longed for Babylon, and she turned into a pillar of salt. So when Jesus then comes to explain this great day of the Lord to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, as Jesus is explaining to his disciples about the end of the world as we know it, what does Jesus say? Remember Lot's wife. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Just as it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Therefore remember Lot's wife. John's exhortation to you and to me today is to hold very lightly to the things of this world. 
Yes, there is so much that we have to be thankful for. So many blessings that come to us from the hand of our, of our Creator and God and Father. But these things can so easily become the longing of our souls and in the end reveal that our hearts are still Babylonian. And when I was young and shopping malls began to pop up all over the country, my parents would sometimes take us kids to the mall on a Saturday afternoon. The shops were closed, it was safe. Um, and they would take us window shopping, which I hated then and I still hate today. I hate window shopping because I see things which I didn't know that I wanted. But now I do. And I either can't afford them, or if I can afford them, I don't really need them. So I go to the mall content with what I have, and I leave discontent with the things that I don't have. The merchants of Babylon feed off the window shopping of our souls. And so multi-billion rand industries like gambling, lottery, crypto trading, pyramid schemes, easy come credit cards, pawn shops, loan sharks, they spring up instantly to provide your soul with the fruit of Babylon. Now all of these things I've just mentioned have one thing in common. They promise you the reward of Babylon without any work. You haven't created, you haven't built, you haven't contributed, you haven't planted, you haven't watered, you haven't nurtured, but you can have the fruit of Babylon. So let me issue you a pastoral warning today of the real dangers of Pinterest. Where did that come from? Well, I guess there are many of you here today who spend at least I would say 10 times, if not more, hours on YouTube and Instagram, let's broaden it a bit, and Pinterest each week, 10 times more time than you do on your relationship to Jesus. Hordes of boards, piles of beautiful pins of things, pins of things I want now, pins of things that I want next, pins of how I plan to get the things that I want, pins of places I want to go, pins of things that I want to do, and while many of these things are, are good and beautiful in and of themselves, perhaps, perhaps they reveal that our souls are longing after the fruit of Babylon. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this world is not our home. We are destined for something far greater, far more beautiful. The new Jerusalem the new heavens, and the new earth. And so God calls us to come out of Babylon, my people. Let me ask you this. As you fill every free moment of the day, pouring over beautiful things of this world, and then you hear the call of Jesus to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow him, does your heart linger like Lot? Or perhaps if you are honest, like Lot's wife, your heart longs after the fruit of Babylon. Let's heed the word of Scripture today, lest we also share in her plagues. Now we have run out of time, and so let me close briefly in the final place. With Babylon is fallen, so rejoice over her judgment, my people. 
in this final section, we have another direct command from God. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. On this final day of the Lord, the end of the world as we know it, we are told to rejoice over the judgment of Babylon. For on that day, God will be vindicated as the righteous judge of all the world. We are meant, if we just read this through, to see a a massive contrast between verse 20 with all the the weeping and the mourning of, of all that has gone on before to now great rejoicing in all of heaven. In other words, everyone on earth is mourning and weeping and wailing in fear and everyone in heaven is rejoicing over the judgment of the wicked. Now this rejoicing is not some vindictive delight in the suffering of the wicked, no. This is instead a rejoicing in the glory of God's justice. You see, right now God is glorified through mercy and grace. He hasn't turned us all into pillars of salt yet. That's mercy, that's grace. He's calling us to salvation now. He gets the glory now through mercy and grace. But he'll get the glory then through justice and holiness and righteousness in the final judgment of the wicked. Notice in verse 20 that God says his judgment against Babylon is for you. It's for the saints Because verse 24 explains that Babylon had slain the saints on the earth. Think back to to last week. The prostitute Babylon became drunk with the blood of the saints. Remember chapter 6 verse 9 to 11. When this day comes, all those martyrs that were gathered under the altar, they will rejoice at the judgment of God that evil has not been left unpunished, that God is vindicated as the righteous judge of the living and the dead. And then in verse 21, and this is again a direct allusion or quote from Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 63 to 64, we see John seeing a mighty angel taking up a stone, a stone like a great millstone, and he throws it into the sea It's a graphic image for us to, to ponder the last moments of Babylon. Listen to these words. So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpist and musicians of flute players and trumpets will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. What a terrifying picture of the reality of hell. Do you see what John is saying here? Everything which your soul longs after here on earth Everything which fills your Instagram posts and your Pinterest boards, if you remain a citizen of Babylon, it will be no more. No more music. 
No more art or sculptures or jewelry or creativity. No more industry or farming or production. No more light or electricity or technology. No more relationships. No more romance. No more marriage, family, friends. No more. The Greek actually says no more at all. It's gone. On that day when hell becomes a reality for all of Babylon's citizens, it will be a place of no more beauty, no more common grace, no more joy, no more pleasure, no more delight. But please don't think that hell will be empty because we saw in verse 2, it will be filled with demons, filled with every unclean spirit, filled with every unclean and detestable thing. But for all of those who heed the call of God today to come out of her, my people, to purify ourselves from her sins, from her trappings, to set our hearts on the fruit of the Spirit, on the fruit of Jesus Christ, what an opposite outcome awaits us all. What an abundant eternity is our inheritance. But for that, you'll have to come back next week uh, to find out some more. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we consider possibly one of the darkest passages in all of Scripture, as you've given us just a glimpse into the end of the world as we know it, O oh Lord, how our hearts cry out to you with thanksgiving that you have not left us in the dark regarding this eternal destiny of the citizens of Babylon. We thank you for those who have come into our lives as the evangelist went to the city of destruction in Pilgrim's Progress and told him that that city would be destroyed and told him of, a, of an amazing heavenly celestial city. We thank you that you've sent people along our paths throughout our lives that have told us the good news of how we can leave the city of Babylon and become citizens of this eternal kingdom in heaven. And that journey is via the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came down from that eternal city into this world of ours and died on the cross to take our guilt upon himself so that we might be set free to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray for each person here today who's been playing games with Babylon, whose heart is divided, who perhaps subtly just via osmosis of living in the midst of Babylon has absorbed the values and, and the soul's longings of Babylon. Lord, won't you cause us to see things clearly, see the end which awaits this city of Babylon and cause us to lift our eyes to the even greater and more beautiful and more delightful city, the new Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb. Won't you cause our hearts to long for that day, cling lightly to the things of this earth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.